Hey everyone, welcome back to the Gary V Audio Experience. And before this episode starts, I just want to remind you to please leave your comments for today's episode in the Spotify Q&A section down below. But also tweet Gary your feedback at Gary V and let him know what you thought about today's episode. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Joining me today is Gary Vaynerchuk, who is a serial entrepreneur and serves as the chairman of media conglomerate VaynerX, the CEO of media agency VaynerMedia, and a creator and CEO of NFT project VFriends. He's also the co-founder of Resi, which he sold to American Express in 2019, and is an angel investor to some companies you may have heard of, like Facebook, Twitter, and Snapchat. You may have seen him as Gary V online, where he documents his life as a CEO on social media where he has more than 44 million followers across various platforms. Gary, hi, welcome to Abu Dhabi. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for talking to me. So that was a lot in there. Media, social media, NFTs, just at the top. I want yep. to talk to you about all of those things, but I kind of just want to get a sense of your thinking these days on the state of just consumer culture. Mm. The head of a media agency, consumer culture is your bread and butter. What are people wanting these days? I mean, there's so many things. I think. Our hypothesis, my hypothesis, has always been based on context and relevance over awareness um, for the sake of awareness, meaning you know, you can know that Coca-Cola exists, but can Coca-Cola get you to care? And so what I think in Fortune 500 land, Starbucks, Nikes, BMW, I think a lot about this question from the context of consumers want relevance. You know, they want to see something from these brands that makes them feel something or consider them. At a small business and creator level, it's the same. We build our brands and our awareness from relevance. We're unable to run a Super Bowl commercial, so we have to win on the battle of putting out 40, 50 pieces of social media content a day across seven or eight different platforms. So that's what I think people are looking for. So to win, it involves prodigious output on free content, if you're small, and on Big companies, it's about relevance. But when you talk about output on social media, where are you seeing companies actually getting it wrong these days? You know, I would argue the bigger the company, the more wrong they are, right? <laughs> um, it just is- That's a hot take, all right, that's a, that's a headline. What are some examples that you're seeing? Well, I would tell you that, you know, again, to put into context for the listeners, VaynerX, VaynerMedia, my marketing company, we work globally, APAC, uh, Europe, LATAM, US. Um, we're, we're, we're recording here in the Middle East, not for kicks and giggles. We'll be here and we'll be in Africa and we'll be in Brazil and we'll be everywhere. And when I look at around the world, what happens is the bigger you are, the more you treat social media the way you treated television and billboards and print. And what's happening is it's just all vanilla and there's not enough output. So what are companies getting wrong? They don't have enough output. They don't live under the context of strategic content. They just post for the sake of posting. They don't factor in what is our religion, which is something we call PAC, platforms and culture. If you don't know that carousel ads are over-indexing right, right now on Instagram, you're not gonna post them. So if you don't know the platforms, the al not just the algorithm that everybody likes to talk about, but even one's ability to take advantage of all the different creative formats, a green screen, right, in your line of work. If you just post something on a video to talk about something that's going on in business, that's fine. If you take a headline from your own article, you write an article 
You then take that article and you take it into a green screen on social and you talk over it. I'm sure everybody who's listening right now, if they have social media, have seen a human talk over a green screen of an article. Mm -hmm. That format will get you three, four, five times more viewers. More the end. It's strategic organic content. What we call SOC is the biggest elephant in the room right now. So where do influencers play into this conversation? In terms of output and content, where is the content coming from? Well, to even add to that, I'll answer that, but where influencers are playing a role is that they're the ones who are more native to understanding the creative strategy. They have no choice. They they're don't the modern day copywriter, they're the modern day. They are. Where do they fit into the agency model? Uh, well, they, to me, they're competitive to the agency model. They're uh, additive to the agency model. They are the future agency owners. That's what I came from. I was making wine content. Today, we are going to visit the wonderful and interesting world of Pinot Grigio. And realize this actually scales for every business in the world. Let me start an agency. VaynerMedia is literally, besides Widen and Kennedy, the largest global independent agency that's been created in the last 40 years. That came from a content creator, that's who I was. Yes, I was a retailer, yes, I was an e-commerce retailer, but at the end of the day, the only reason I forayed into Madison Avenue was because I spent a half a decade winning on content and was realizing it was outperforming my print, radio, direct mail, and television advertising. And so how is content evolving? So when I was, I actually, my first job out of college was at an ad agency, separate story. <laughs> but it was the time of native advertising, inbound marketing. Right, we were the HubSpot the, DNA. Yes, yes, we were an early client of HubSpot. Yes. And um, talking about just generating this death by content. Felt yes, awesome. website, build as much articles, win SEO, have them come to you. So where are we now? The and social media version of that. GPT in the conversation, Whoa. where is this? Where are we going? Well, that's a different thing, but to I'll, I'll answer both of those. Yeah. One, we are in the social media version of what the website version of inbound marketing was 15 years ago. So it is a volume game. Mm -hmm. But you, know, you probably learned this at the time, I don't know how long you were there, but what people learned in writing SEO and articles was, yes, it'd be awesome if you wrote 50, but it'd be a heck of a lot better if you wrote 13 great ones than 50 bad ones. Right. When I say make a lot of content, if you make 13 horrible pieces of social media content, there's only so much good that can come of that. Right. It's better than one horrible piece of content, but the reality is you have to be good at it. As far as ChatGPT is, we are in the pre-dawn of scaled AI making a huge impact on copy and creative. I think for us personally at Vayner and me personally, the trademark and copyright aspect of all of this is a very big elephant in the room and so we can't use it yet for our clients if God forbid there's a lawsuit and the creative, you know, so we have to be careful about that. You can't really that. cite your sources. We can't, it's we not, can't. It's not, not good. And, and what a lot of people in your line of work are worried about is it's an it's a new Google all over again, right? It's gonna index everything and take it for itself and not create any economics or cite any credit to the sources. This is a major, major hornet's nest that's gonna be figured out probably over the next five to 15 years, but the reality is the technology's not going back in the genie bottle. This is here, and it will be here. I think it actually is gonna collide quite a bit with uh, decentralized servers. Yeah. I want to pump the brakes on decentralized for one second because I want to talk to you. The last time the national spoke to you, it was on NFTs. Yes. And it does feel like the shine, the bloom is off the rose on NFTs. South by Southwest was last week. Yes. Uh, talking tech and culture. Yes. 
NFTs weren't really mentioned. Meta just made headlines. They're shuttering their NFT efforts. Mm -hmm. V friends is your effort in this space. Yes. What are you thinking? You know, I'm thinking what I thought nine months ago when I made 50 to 100 pieces of content that said 99% of these things are going to go to zero because what happened was what happened with late 90s internet stocks. Then they, then they were stocks, this time they were collectibles, but the same thing happened. Everyone got way too gold rushy. Everybody cared about greed instead of building. And you had way too much hysteria. And so what you had was a scenario that was inevitable, which was the macro technology is profound. I'm more bullish on NFTs today than I was a year ago, but the individual projects that were built a year ago were built for short-term financial reasons, not for long-term reality. So for me, when I built VFriends almost two years ago, I'm like, I'm gonna build Pokemon meets Sesame Street and this is gonna take me the rest of my life. I think that that's a very different point of view on it. So that, that was my take. I think the really interesting part is smart contract. I think decentralized servers that create providence are gonna become a very important element in an AI world. I think. I'm hearing your, uh, your wine heritage meeting up with yeah, your. Yeah, it's uh, true. Your blockchain. That's a very smart. Inheritance. That's a very smart uh, observation. The provenance thing really matters. It's like vineyard source. It's, I learned a lot in the wine business that ironically impacts. In terms of creating value. A hundred percent. So value in the wine world is all about provenance. It's all about the year, the timeliness. When you look at things like NFTs, you do think you can create value by being able to cite with but really strong fidelity where something comes from. Only if people want it. Only, yeah. Like what people don't understand is only 1% of comic books are sought after. Only 1% of sports cards are sought after. Only 1% of sneakers are sought after. So when humans collect, they only collect a very small subset of the overall genre. So art is no different than NFTs. Sports cards are no different than NFTs. Comics are no different than NFTs. The problem was last year, people clumped NFTs as all NFTs. Mm -hmm. That would be like saying every piece of art is gonna go up in value mm -hmm. instead of just Jackson Pollock and Andy Warhol. Mm -hmm. So yes, I, I believe that NFTs are gonna be a collectible in perpetuity because I know how people collect. It's already clear, and by the way, in this huge winter that is so atrocity and like it's all over, there's enormity of collectible going on. Mm -hmm. There's an enormity of money being pushed. And by the way, SVB Bank goes down and look what happens. People take a step back and say, huh, maybe something that's decentralized that can't be you know, impacted is something I may want to look at. And so you know, I think there's still a lot of change and things to think through, but what happened? was super predictable, and I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking. At the height of it, in August and September, I went on a rampage to make sure that people were being thoughtful, and unfortunately, people are, real, you know, we're at a real estate conference right now. It happens in real estate, it happens on Wall Street, it happens in collectibles. When it's going good, people become delusional and greedy, and that's just human nature. So you predict it will be durable. It's like, here to stay. A hundred percent. But so again, the of course, the macro technology is profound. Mm -hmm. When everybody wrote articles that the internet was a fad, 
in 2000 because all the stocks collapsed because they were overvalued by Wall Street. That didn't make the internet less important. It meant that Wall Street was greedy. Today, the same thing's happening with NFTs. So you like to dispense advice. So I want to ask you if you were to dispense advice now on the NFT chat GPT metaverse, this kind of space of frontier technology, yes. and you're a small business owner, what moves, what, what are the smart moves right now in these spaces? Is it smart to move in these spaces just yet? As an SMB, probably not other than education. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be very thoughtful with your monies when you're an SMB. And so first of all, it goes back to the first part of the conversation. What every small business on earth, from every corner of the earth needs to figure out is a very smart, organic social media strategy. It is disproportionately the biggest impact on their bottom line when it comes to at least marketing and demand creation. As far as frontier tech, it's good to keep an eye on it. It's good to be ready. It's good to flirt with it. Education is very powerful, so I think people should know about it. But I think frontier tech is something that is incredibly high risk. More importantly, it's never at the scale that people want it to be, but it's important to pay attention and get your hands dirty in it so you are prepared. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think about, okay, uh, this Shoshana Zuboff book, Surveillance Capitalism, she kind of coined that term, this idea of the attention economy, the infinite scroll we kind of all find mm -hmm. ourselves in. You're a real creature of the infinite yes. scroll. You, you live and die yes. by, by that. How do you stay, I think, the other side of the coin on this social media economy that we've built is surveillance capitalism, is this kind of darker, more nefarious way of thinking about it. And there are real privacy concerns and like societal implications. I guess what I want to ask you is how do you stay motivated in that space? Do you ever have second thoughts on where we're headed? I stay motivated because I'm incredibly optimistic on the human race. I, I think that- You don't look at internet culture and think, oh my gosh, yikes. You're a, you're a big celebrant of it. I'm much more excited about it than what happened pre-internet culture. Mm. Like, you know, I think what's important is to understand what are we demonizing and what are we scared of? So to me, privacy is controllable. So like, if somebody's listening right now and they're like, I'm really, no way, Gary, you're so wrong. I'm like, delete the apps. Don't have an iPhone. Like, I love the concept of accountability. You like, can opt in or opt out, but it's becoming decreasingly possible to opt out as you're making this I would, of I would actually argue the other way. Yeah. I think there's micro trends of people opting out more than ever. Yeah. I think it was harder seven years ago to opt out than today. I think mm -hmm. it's cooler to opt out now. I think people are leaning into knowing their options. And I think people are finding their calibration of balance. Like the amount of parents that like stop me in the middle of the street and say, TikTok, and I'm like, then delete it off your kid's phone. Like the lack of accountability and the lack of understanding how much control humans actually have, I think people have absolutely opted in to this depressive state that America or China or TikTok or Meta or Mark Zuckerberg controls them. I think it's a cop out. I think it's because accountability has come out of favor and I don't, I'm not worried about it at all. Not worried about it. Okay. So last question, dispensing advice to. Because others. can I, can I add one point? Yeah, please. It would be the same, you know, there was a, there's a couple other things I think a lot about. I think about America banning alcohol. They thought that that would solve the problem. Like to me, banning or stopping or being scared is never the problem. It's understanding how to use everything. A car is dangerous if you don't know how to use it. Mm -hmm. A bottle of gin is dangerous if you don't know how to use it. Sugar 
is dangerous if you don't know how to use it. I think we need education and conversation, but I think ultimately it's about accountability. Do you bear a responsibility to do more education on these things or does that, is that a space somebody else should occupy? You know, I, I think I do it all the time. I'm doing it right now with you. Yeah. But my problem is that most people ride waves so hard that I'm doing it right now. I think I'm, when I'm answering, hey, have you ever considered accountability? I think I'm doing way more public service right now than saying we should ban this and we should ban that. This is a major pandemic of the last 30 years. The world has fallen in love with pointing fingers. It's your fault, your media. It's my fault, I'm social media. Why are we not into thumbs? Well, my, my question really was, how do you stay motivated in a landscape that's, that's yelling at you and, tell, and pointing fingers? How do you stay, how do you get up every morning and kind of get back, get back on the horse? Because I have no attachment to the validation and or the tearing down. See, one of the great things when you don't believe in your own headlines is you don't believe in the trolling either. When you are actually in a state of doing things for yourself and what makes you happy, not the addiction of the validation of the likes or the treachery of being torn down, you're in a much better place. I'm motivated because I'm detached. All right, a stoic, a stoic line it's, to end on. I don't know if I believe you that you're detached. Well, I think that's only because you don't know me. Yeah. You know, and yeah. which I respect. It's one of the reasons I judge no one. I don't know them. Gary Vee, fun to talk to you. So much fun. You know, it's funny you, you, we end with that. It's been the biggest thing of like, how the, to your point, like how does one sustain when there's so much going on? Yeah. It's, you know, for me, it's um, that whole validation or detachment. It's kind of like my sports teams. I like love the process of a team winning a championship. Yeah. But once they do, I'm like out. <laughs> and so like when the Yankees and the Rangers won their championships, I stopped cheering for them. And I never understood it when I was a kid, but as I've gotten older, I'm like, ah, I like the process. Mm -hmm. You know, like the process is fun for me. The winning, the wins and the losses you need to feel. Yeah, just, I just like the, I like the trying yeah. more than like the outcome. Well, I mean, I asked you that question just because of what I cover. So I'm the future editor at The National, which means I cover chat GPT, yeah, yeah, yeah. I cover all of this. And I find it, the more I find out about this stuff, the it's more, daunting. The, yeah, the more I'm like, I'm gonna go I get cover it. I get um, it. animals you know, birds yeah. in the jungle. <laughs> I, think, I, think that, I think I get that. What I will tell you, and this maybe will help you, like get less daunting, is like, go read the articles about things that seem mundane now. Go read what they said about the television. How it, was yeah. gonna, how it was gonna be a zombie machine. Right, it will start to feel um, more charming and less sinister and nefarious. It's, it's, it's only because the, in the, we're in the moment now where people are demonizing technology. Yeah. You know, 10 years ago, when you were working at, like, that was the golden era. That was all good. Yeah. And now we're in the all bad, and the reality is it's always in the middle. Yeah. I don't know. I do think that the tools that we're using now are so much bigger and more sophisticated and are creating a feedback loop to, you know. But, but you'll appreciate this. Everything's a feedback loop. Vogue magazine was a feedback loop in 1987. Hmm. It was, you know, like, I think, I think that what we, we struggle with is understanding that within context, everything is that. Like, you know, yeah. everything is forming opinion. Walter Cronkite dictated what people thought at yeah. scale. 
Okay, I could, I could, you, sort, you of, I could sort of buy that comparison. Like, yeah, it's really interesting when you really like dig into this game. It's fascinating. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I think it's capacity to manipulate is just getting. But your mom was manipulating you before, right? Like, I get it. Like, okay, but like, we have always been manipulated by whatever we were consuming. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, is it better that it's the world? Or is it just a small group of people? Like that's always been the case. Yeah, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Of course. The subject of AI is a very exciting thing to talk about, but not a very exciting thing to end on. Because of that, we have the brand new edition of Marketing for the Now. This is the AI edition. Keep listening to hear more. Hey, Gary. It is wonderful to see you, Andrew. How are you? I am good. I am good. Happy Passover. Thank you to everybody out there. Sounds like a lot of people are um, also heading off on some early Easter uh, vacations and things, but hopefully they're going to listen to this because we're going to talk about all the things that you need to know about AI. It's going to be a good one. I'm excited not only about the topic, but I'm excited to have Avery join you in this conversation. Let's bring her up. Avery. Avery Akanini, our president of Vayner3. Welcome, welcome, Avery. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you, Andrea, always for putting these on. And thank you everyone for tuning into Marketing for the Now. Um, we're excited to do a little bit of a different format this time. We have a couple of brand guests and we're also going to do a couple of demos. Um, but before we get into all that fun, Gary, wanted to start by asking you some questions of sort of what's on your mind with AI. You know, internally, we've been talking about this since the summer when Midjourney and then subsequently Dolly 2 sort of caught our eyes. Um, and then ChatGPT happened and 100 million users also caught on to that. Um, so how big of a deal is generative AI for brand builders and, and for marketers? I mean, it it's, and I think we've seen the you know headlines um, over the last 30, 45 days. It's so big that you have some of the biggest names in technology history saying like, hey, should we contemplate taking a collective human pause for six months and really try to understand this. Um, it is a profound technology. You know, I think back to search really hitting the scene, the internet and then search engines. And it was like, wow, this is like a big deal for like human information, capacity, efficiency. Like literally I don't have to drive 32 minutes or if I live in a rural area or 15 minutes the city or five minutes to the library, find the encyclopedia or the book or the reference. It, 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 it was just like, wow, things that used to take even 10 minutes in your own home to go downstairs, get the encyclopedia, five, like 10 minutes became 10 seconds with search and so much happened. AI is like a whole different, like I, I bring up search because it's an easy, quick comp, but it the multiplier on artificial intelligence is profound. It gets smarter, it's not stagnant. Um, and what it's going to mean to creative. Uh, I was talking to a musician the other day and he was like, Gary, how should I think about this? So I was like, well, do you understand that you'll be able to like probably get very good insight on what you should title your song? Like that the machine learning is going to get so strong that, Hey, what, you know, if I want this to happen, what should I title this song or testing hooks or extracting hooks? I mean, it just gets so wild. It's really difficult. Avery, to completely comprehend the, the profound nature of what it can do. And, uh, you know, obviously I think the big elephant in the room is trademark and, 
and copyright. You know, I, I hear that bubbling up a little bit behind the scenes right now. Um, but this is very, very, very substantial technology. And, and I really don't see anyone on earth not being affected by it. Um, especially because you really clearly can see already with the ChatGPT APIs, like food services, like seem, others like already starting to play with it. And so you very quickly you're like, oh, right. Like, you know, Alexa and Google Home and these things, they're gonna get stronger because the race is on with the biggest tech companies. And then, oh, right. All these consumer apps are gonna start layering AI into their environments and we use them every day. So yeah, I think it's a it's a big, big deal. And um, so big that I think we're drinking from the fire hose, but being thoughtful on how we're gonna execute against it. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that because obviously, you know, marketers are listening to this. There are some practical things that people can be doing right now. You talked a little bit about um, OpenAI's products, ChatGPT, they also have Dolly too. And, and others, what are some of like the practical things that you think that marketers can do today to start getting themselves educated? Because I do want to touch on in a second, some of the watchouts, which are very, very real for brands who have a lot to lose, you know, if they're jumping into this space a little too quickly. Let, actually, let me reverse the question because I think, you know, oftentimes I'm interviewed by people that I feel like are right there in answering the questions that I'm always enjoying um, other people's perspectives. Your you're heading up our innovation agency. You know, I know you well. Um, you're in it right now. Why don't you answer that question in reverse? Yeah. Like, what, what do you think? You know, I'll give you my two second one and then you take it deeper. Everyone needs to be tasting it. I'm petrified, Avery, that there are a ton of people here who've read the headlines but have not played with it. Oh, like, and that's definitely the case. So I feel like yeah. everyone who's watching this right now, like your homework coming out of this, because Gary and I are framing this up as like homework season. And, you know, I've worked for you for more than five years, Gary, and everything new, you always want to run at. This is the one thing that you're like, let's run at it, but internally, like, let's really get ourselves together. Let's really do our homework because th this is very, very powerful. And a lot can go right, but a lot can also go wrong. So internally. And, specific, and specifically, I apologize. Um, the thing, just so everyone's listening, yeah. because we have clients, it's very quick to think, oh, we're an agency. Let's make art out of this product for our clients. We can make something, AI can help us make something in two minutes, a minute, that might take an hour for someone in Adobe or Canva or something in nature. The problem is the source of the creative is not clear enough yet. And we wanna be very cautious about that. So for a lot of people here, play for it for yourself, learn it. Play, use it internally, to your point, Avery, like decks that our team are making for each other. You can do that. That might save you an hour to prep for a meeting. But if you're if you're doing something on behalf of someone else, be understanding and thoughtful about some of the stuff that's in the air, right? Yeah, I think there's like four major buckets where we see this being a useful tool for us already internally and for our partners. Like we work with Fortune 500 brands and enterprises. Um, and at the end of the day, wherever consumers go, brands need to understand the fact that hundreds of millions of people are already doing this. And they're not just using chat GPT. They're creating AI headshots and portraits. And anyone can be, you know, uh, this new thing, new type of artist. Um, there are like professional generative AI artists and even a guy in our team who's sort of been spearheading this internally 
has been winning these generative art competitions for like real artists. So like people are, are catching on to it. Brands have to understand. And I think they're, we're in this novelty phase right now. We're like, okay, great. Chat GPT wrote my script and I'm Ryan Reynolds. Like that is a novelty that is getting attention because there's relevance in this. But I think we're about to shift into more of the utility component and generative AI can be useful for strategy. Being a strategic partner can be useful for copywriting. Um, even training certain models so they sound like I'm in the voice of Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Like you can train it over time to yep. visual creation, like asset production. Anyone who's ever worked in agency knows there's a lot of resizing and a lot of formatting and a lot of production help. And, and we'll hear from some of those partners. And then lastly, I also think this ongoing sort of ideation and um, ongoing community management, there can be a lot of automation in this that exists today. Um, and people are feeling a little like, oh, is this going to take away the jobs of creatives and, you know, of, of thinkers? And to us, exactly what you said at the top of this call, um, it's and not or. It's right now it's a supplemental thing. Um, so that's what I'm seeing on my side. I need to just say something. Uh, Troy Denson in the YouTube comments said that chat GPT said the Jets won't win the Super Bowl until 2078. So I'll be walking away from this stream right now and going to work out and eat well because I need to survive until that day. That would put me at 103, Avery, and I'm very focused on that. So thank you, Troy, for the information. <laughs> uh, Abe, what, what about the fear? You know, I think, you know, some, I saw someone say, oh, um, you know, like the real question is what's this gonna do to the job market? And I think it's very clear that this technology is so profound that there will be a scenario where it is able to do things that humans are currently being paid for. However, much like the tractor in farming, those humans went on to do other things that were impactful, the critical thinking of using AI or all together different things. You know, as you know, because you're on top of things, we've been talking about autonomous cars taking truck drivers jobs for a decade. I've been hearing AI is going to take jobs forever. Now it's here, to your point. We don't have like the Uber of autonomous trucks yet where we can have that conversation. Any hot take, any intuition? What are you hearing? You know, I think, I think people... the thing that, especially internally, we have a lot, we have thousands of creatives who work across the Vayner companies and people are like, hey, is this going to be, you know, something I need to watch out for? And it's actually something that they need to learn and embrace and understand. I think a lot of our success at Vayner has come from embracing change understanding what's happening and skating to where the puck is going um, because there will be prompt engineer jobs. You, we already see some people who really get this. Their prompts are getting better. Their output is getting better. It's just like you mentioned Adobe or Canva. Like it's a tool. You need to understand how to use the tool. And now I think we can call this homework season is a time for brand marketers and really anyone um, to spend time understanding these tools so they can effectively leverage them in this sort of next era of the internet. Joey says, I used text AI to write a blog post and I was amazed at how effective it was in helping me expand on my thoughts. Completely mind blown. I think you, you mentioned it earlier. Again, everybody loves the whole concept of or, you know where I sit on this, there's a, there's a pandemic, it's called being obsessed with or instead of understanding and. I think the co-creating thought partner that AI will be for copywriters is going to be profound. You know, it's going to be a training wheels. It, you know, some people use classical music. Some people use a glass of wine. Some people use going to the cabin in the woods to like actually help them write and think and put pen to paper. Um, I actually think AI 
is going to be a much more effective version of that psychology. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Super excited. Gary, where do you think that this is sort of heading in the now and the next for marketers, just as we get ready to have our next guest on? Do I have two minutes before the next guest? Yeah. Cool. Uh, so I just wanted to know the timing. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, you know this. I'm a, I'm a, I hate that the world obsesses about yesterday tactically, not not learn from it. I think that people overly, you know, try to figure out tomorrow, and I'm obsessed with the concept of today. The now of it is it's here, and every single marketer, every single operator, every single creator, and every single human who's watching this needs to leave at the end of this hour uh, and literally listen to the platforms that are here and go create accounts and go taste. There's, it's just here. We've touched on some of the ways that you have to be thoughtful, copyright, trademark. You have to be a little thoughtful for commercial use. But for, yeah, very. AK, we're not doing it and we always do everything. So, you know, um, but you must, you must use the serendipity of watching this today in the middle of a Wednesday to be like, okay, I've been putzing around. I'm, there's some people talking shit about it, Avery. Like this is the worst or this is the best and literally haven't used it yet. So that's, that, the answer is go go ride the bike. Go, don't, don't have thoughts about what swimming is gonna feel like. Jump in a pool and swim. That's, that's, uh, that's the game. All right, amazing. Andrea, we'll let pull up with the next guest. Thanks, Fantastic. Thanks to you both. All right, we're going to bring John up next. John Licata, who is the Chief of Innovation at SAP's Future Hub. And his, his mission is to uncover emerging trends ahead of mainstream thinking. Welcome, John. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Hey, Gary. John, how are you? Good. Good to finally connect. So much, brother. All right, break it down for us, John. First of all, your background's epic. Awesome. AI generated, just for you. <laughs> um. Give it to us, my man. Just like pontificate here. I, I won't even go, I, I'll give you the floor up front. Like what, you know, obviously you probably were listening. I assume you didn't just sign in. You know, what do you agree with? What do you want to expand on? What What do these people need to know? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I really think that you're right. We have to jump in the pool and we have to play. And unfortunately right now you're seeing some companies almost bring in um, a, an AI hammer and playing whack-a-mole to fix things without actually trying and and I think that's definitely premature. I think that we need to figure out how we can be augmented by AI and become better. I mean, you mentioned in, in your, your monologue about, you know, the, the ability to maybe write better or have the opportunity to, to have it help you. And I really think that's where we need to go is the augmentation of, of humans. Um, you can make a case for certain jobs being replaced and challenger gray and christmas talking about two and a half million u.s jobs could be replaced by chat gpt alone and goldman sachs um, talking about maybe uh, 250 to 300 million jobs globally from ai in general not just from uh, generative ai but ai in general but i think this is a this is a time to try things out for upscaling to see how you can maybe get better at doing your job because if certain tasks are automated that might allow you to try to be more innovative, to try new opportunities to put in, not just with, you know, creating cool images, but I really think that we have to um, be prepared for moving from web point, uh, web 3.0, focused on digital assets and really think about 
maybe 4.0 digitizing trust. This is where I think marketers and businesses need to understand because in the other day I was looking and I, and I came across a, a cool track from Jay-Z. Guess what? It wasn't Jay-Z. And, uh, you know, this morning there was something about Taylor Swift fans that they were using her likeness and voice, but to personalize messages, clearly that wasn't her as well. But the reality is the IP, the copywriting, how do you, how do you, it's easy to say we need to use AI to get ethical um, and become more responsible. What does that mean? Systems need to play with each other. They need to understand how do you navigate AI in a world of compliance with sustainability, understanding if we're going to play and jump in the pool, there's got to be some sort of framework that we can make sure that we do it right. And I think that's, you know, uh, I'm, my family's from Italy, Gary, and I just saw. Oh, I hear it, Johnny. And, and, I over, the last, and over the last <laughs> couple of days, you saw, uh, you know, the Italian government putting a pause on, on, on generative AI. And I think that what you, what we need to get to the point of is understand, can I trust the data as a business, as Vayner, as SAP, can we move forward and have embedded AI in, in our solutions that people can ultimately trust? And at the moment, you know, you're seeing some models that are spitting out false information. How is a business or a marketer, how can you act on information? You know, one of our, our, our executives put his bio in recently and it, and it, and it came out at ChatGPT that he, that he was deceased. Clearly he was sitting next to me. He was not deceased. By so, the way, by the way, just to remind, but brother, just to, and you know this, just to remind everybody, this is deja vu. Yeah. I didn't trust all the search results. Like in 1996, they weren't always right. Like, you know, with any, you know, that's funny though, with, I'm sure you're saying this as well, with every technology, we have to, we have to, have a double check of thoughtfulness, you know, to your point, like, how do you know if it's real? The biggest problem in the world right now is people are just reading headlines and just accepting them as truth. Absolutely. People also, John, as you know, they, they see or find what they're looking for. People also take Wikipedia as hundred percent truth while there's tens of millions of people who for fun are putting shit in Wikipedia that isn't Absolutely. true. Like, like, you know, like, I mean, Google at early Yahoo, like had many things wrong about wine. The first result was an article about wine because the guy knew or the girl knew how to do SEO and it wasn't right. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, like, you know, I'm just wondering, will AI be the final nail in the coffin where social media was a preview to it of like, when are humans willing to become accountable to become thoughtful again? Because the intellectual laziness and or the biasy to find what you're actually looking for is a massive problem that we're all affected by. Like the thought that I would believe everything that came out of ChatGPT when it's 14 seconds old is asinine. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and you know, I think we're gonna go, come to a period, Gary, where you, know, you have products that are made in the USA, products that are made in China. You're gonna have to start seeing made in AI or work that's complemented, like this was submitted by you know, an AI bot or something that shows people that there was some complementary means. But look, you and me have been around. And I remember back in the 90s when dot-com took off, when you, you know, with the wine business and doing the great things that you've done, I was afraid to buy something online. I, I put my credit card information in there. So, you know, so now, so what, now I know my UPS driver by his first name because things come here so, so frequently. But I think now we have huh, to come to- John, think about Uber. Back to just technology. 
If you told somebody 40 years ago that they would have preferred their 14 year old to go into a strange man's car, yeah, they don't know the man. Absolutely. Like you'd rather your 14 year old to stay safe is going in a stranger's car. That was literally the only thing my mom told me not to do. Yeah, yeah. Technology totally. changes our norms all the time. By the way, little fun fact, the year 1800, 83% of the labor force worked on farms. And then tractors were invented. Yeah, no, it's it, it's so cool to, to, to think about, you know, we, we, have to, we have to figure out a way that we we can leverage intelligence in new ways. And right now, you know, it's it's great to put a, a, a query in and to get some sort of intelligence for something that you need maybe in that here and now, but some of those models haven't been updated since 2021. So you, right. if I need to know something, I, I would rather have the machines um, know John, know Gary, help us in our moment that we're doing something, understand what are my business goals, what are my KPIs, and feed me information that will allow me to make better decisions have better customer personas based on what's happening now. People's, their, their, their buying habits change. We don't have one blanket persona anymore. And maybe AI should be used more as an assisting tool. And, and I, I, well, when it becomes more invisible, we become more active. You'll love this and you know this. There'll be no should. AI is now a technology. Like technologies like the gun, the fork, the atomic bomb, the internet, like people are gonna use them for good, for bad, for indifferent. There's gonna be no should. There's AI and it's gonna be used for all sorts of things. Yeah. And humans have proven the ability, everyone that in my circles that's doomsday about this, I'm like, the atomic bomb was invented. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, 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 like a gun was invented. I promise you, if we were all hanging around when the gun was invented and we were like, we're like, wait a minute, my sword is like, like humans, are capable. I also think the blockchain's verification infrastructure with an AI world, it, you know, I haven't really put the, you know, the ingredients are in my head. I'm like, wait a minute, if we're gonna need affirmation, isn't this the blockchain's core strength? I wonder yeah, if absolutely. information going to the blockchain as a way to create provenance and resourcing and truth, that could be profound. That's digital trust, that's web 4.0 that we're going to be moving forward. And you know, like even with NFTs, yep. uh, you know, like right now, it, right now it's, it's artwork, but men about IP and exchanging yep. these things that the AI can help with so many different things, Gary, that we can tackle. And maybe we will have the jets win, you know, sooner than what that call, what that call is. We're both suffering. As long as I see it, 103, I'll be fine. I'll be like, yay, you know, whatever, you know, and are we done here? Andrew, you can are. It goes so fast. It goes so fast. Thank you so much, John. We're going to bring up Laura Bowden, who is a partner at Bain, and she's the architect of Bain Solutions in Marketing and has recently joined arms with OpenAI in a partnership with Coca-Cola that we're super interested in hearing about. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm well. Tell us, uh, tell us all about this, this exciting partnership. What, what, what should we all collectively learn from it? Sure. So I guess maybe what I'll start with is, you know, kind of picking up on one of the themes that you were talking about. AI is, is here and, you know, it's going to be like 10 years ago when every company board and CEO says, well, what are we doing about digital? You know, now we're going to have every CEO and board saying, well, what are we doing about AI? And so, 
you know, our perspective is that every marketing organization has to have a good answer to, you know, not just that we're, you know, you giving the keys over to generative AI in order to create all of our content from here to eternity, but that there's a lot of really useful, practical applications of AI across the whole marketing value chain that, you know, maybe aren't quite so flashy and sexy, but actually will create much better outcomes. And, you know, the, the partnership that we have with OpenAI and the philosophy that, that Coke has brought to this actually also echoes some of the other themes that you've brought up all already. You know, number one is we just need to start learning what it can do and where is it useful and where do we test the limits and you know, what do we need to be mindful of as the tip of the iceberg that allows us to unlock more opportunity across the whole marketing organization. And you know, our partnership with OpenAI is very much structured around yeah, you know, we've you know, OpenAI has created the technology. They haven't had the capacity to be able to think through no. all the different applications. And so we've been challenged to say, you know, well, what can we be doing? What are the various different use cases? Where do we see you know value coming out of those use cases? And then more importantly, actually, and, and sort of important to our business, how does that work? Um, what do you have to rewire in order to be able to get the value out of it? Where would you actually start changing decision rules if you know, you've got uh, new steps in the in the process or, or ways that you know individuals can be empowered to do things that they couldn't do before? Yeah, I think that's right. What do you think? Uh, actually, this is a fun one, Laura. What what was like the most aha moment for you when you were like, "Uh oh, this is a big big deal." You know, we all kind of have those moments with big new technologies. I'm in that perfect age where my entire career has almost been hitting like web one, web two, web three, you know? Um, so yeah. I, yeah. So what, what was yours with AI? What, you know, what were you like, you know, because I'm sure given your career and all the great successes, you know, like me, I looked at startups that were doing AI four or five, six years ago. And very quickly I was like, Oh, okay. This is like half-assed machine learning or a lot of them were just like, oh, these are just APIs. This isn't real AI, you know. Mm-hmm. When did you have like the, oh man, this is like, when did you taste it or when? Did, what did you see? What was the aha? So you know, very much from a, a marketing lens, the excitement that I have around generative AI in particular is that I think marketing has lived for far too long with the silos between brand and creative and performance. And generative AI is this awesome bridge that will actually finally bring them together so that those who are coming up with the most creative concepts will be able to finally prove that they drive performance. And, you know, and, and I think the technology is super exciting for being able to more quickly and easily optimize the content in a way that then you can see the performance value of it. I mean, I know we all know. No, I, th- I think the thing there, Laura, as you know, is if one is interested in creating that accountability. My my argument to your point, in addition, additive to what you just said is, oh, wait a minute. A lot of service providers are really enjoying the pointing the fingers that it's media or creative's fault. Like it, what people have been asking me lately because we've been exploding, like why is VaynerMedia 
winning or why did this go so well or why is it so hot? I'm like, really the actual answer is we have, an, we have a thirst to be accountable that our marketing is working. Um, you're absolutely right. This is definitely a technology that can create that capacity. It's just that the industry for 30 years has really enjoyed the non-accountability. Somewhat. I mean, we've been studying what we call marketing leaders for a decade or, or, or more than that at this point, where we look at the organizations that are driving sales and, and gaining share and yep. the things that they do different than everybody else. Yep. And throughout that decade, you know, the, the leaders, those who are growing, they have that accountability. They optimize you know, constantly. They're always testing. And they've built that bridge so that they are um, including the creative, creative and, and brand teams into the into the accountability. Yeah, we could say that all day long. I agree with you. There's still many organizations who don't care, but I think more and more. I, I, also, I, I also think a lot to, to your point. I think on a good day, that group is 20 percent. And of that 20 percent, there's another 50 percent that is accountable because they're sales organizations with some marketing overlay, which gets them to that accountability of business. But that's that's on a tangent. F final th thoughts, because I don't want to. I want. I'm gonna want to make sure we've touched on everything you've, you, you maybe wanted to touch on. Is there anything that this audience should be thinking about, needs to know about? Like, giving you the floor. What, what should yeah. what should that be? Well, my perspective. You know, obviously, all the headlines are about the generative content and creative applications. But when you stop to think about it, there are 25 other applications of even generative AI within what marketing organization can do, um, whether it's leveraging unstructured data to be able to you know, improve audience targeting or whether it's you know, actually recreating the brief process in mm -hmm. order to include more data sources and make the briefs smarter. You know, those aren't the things that are going to be you know, like the Coke partnership garnering all of the headlines. But I think that's actually where a lot of the value is going to to lie. The, the, the practicality of it. Yeah, the not exciting stuff, but the you know the 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 for, practical for, stuff that will drive impact. For everybody who's watching who's not in the marketing world, the brief is like a starting point document. And to Laura's point, a lot you know many things that happen in marketing are incredibly vulnerable when the when the brief is too vanilla. And I you know I was listening carefully to what Laura said. I think that's absolutely right. You you to use this technology to give teeth to the brief for a lot of people will end up being a very practical operational enhancement. I think Laura, to your point, and we kind of touched on it earlier, if you heard, a lot of the internal stuff is gonna be really, really actionable right now while I do think, are, are you also Laura hearing a lot of people at your level kind of chirping about the copyright or trademark fears on the creative generative stuff? Yeah, um, and I think at some point we'll find ways to be able to create the right guidelines or, and kind of guardrails around yeah. that. The yeah. other piece that I think we can't ignore is the unintended bias that comes from you know, the, the models being trained on a lot of history that none of us first, you know, want, want to repeat. Of course, of course. Um, Andrea, how much? Are, I'm just. I'm a little. I feel.
Yeah, I, I gotta go, right? Because this, one, this one's going yeah. lickety split. So thank you so much, Lauren. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate thank you much. joining on. We'll be talking a lot about AI going forward, but so nice Cheers. to see you and happy, happy holidays. Thank you so much for listening to that entire episode. We want to remind you to give Gary feedback, so make sure you tweet him at Gary V. But if you're listening on Spotify, you can drop your comments, questions, and anything in between in the Spotify Q&A section down below. We'll see you in the next episode.